Psalm 15. Psalm 15. This series has been called Prayers for Turbulent Times and uh, how we need to be praying, how we can anchor our prayers using the Psalms uh, for the times in which we live. And uh, we're looking at 10 different Psalms from 10 to to, uh, 19, I believe, maybe Psalm 20, depending on uh, the time frame. But uh, this is a great psalm, Psalm 15. I guess all of them, all of them are great in their own way. Uh, but it's a challenging psalm as well. Before we read, though, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you again for your word. And I pray once again that by your spirit you would open it up to us, that not only would we read it, but we would understand it and learn how to apply it to our lives. Uh, we do love you and we honor you and we praise you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Now we really do live in turbulent times and and I think we are long overdue for another major economic correction. You know, since 2008, I did a series uh, about a year or so after that, I think you can still download it from the web, uh, about God's economics and economics from God's perspective. And we looked at that situation that unfolded there in 2008 and the years before that, and we discovered that much of the global economic system is based on what's called dishonest weights and measures. And, uh, And actually, the system is still based on what God would call, the Bible would call, dishonest weights and measures. And so we're in a very difficult season in our world where economically we could expect another real major correction because the fundamentals are still just as distorted as they were almost 10 years ago. And also we're looking at a a time in our world where uh, Islamic extremism is on the rise and and uh, the murders that are going on and the killings and, and now it's tapping in, the demonic spirits are tapping in to the, the minds of very unstable people provoking them to do random acts of violence that's very difficult to protect against. And we're living in a, in a time where People are not faithful to one another in marriage. They're not faithful to one another in business. They're not faithful to one another even in the body of Christ. And so we see how all this turbulence is going on around us. And a big question that comes in the middle of all this turbulence, how can I stand firm? How can I stand strong? But another question that also tends to come in, in, this, in this turbulence that we're living in is how do I get to know God better? How can I really see God? How can I, I know God's presence? How can I have confidence that even in the midst of turbulence I'm walking with the Lord and that I, I can have that assurance that God is with me, I am with God, and, uh, and, and I can enjoy His presence? Now, how do, how do I do that? 
And this psalm surprises us by telling us that those two things are connected. Notice what David does. He starts out here and says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent, in your dwelling place, in your presence? Uh, Now, for David at the time, he wrote this, the tent was that place where there was 24-7 worship going on. Prayer and worship, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There were paid musicians. Uh, They had hundreds of people engaged in the tabernacle or the tent of David. And he's saying, who is going to be able to stay in your presence? And who can dwell in your holy hill? Who can dwell in, in, those, in, in your very presence is essentially what he's asking. And then he goes on to answer that question. And then he says at the end of it, you know, those who do these things shall never be moved. So David is connecting this idea of having stability, having a strong foundation, being established in turbulent times with the idea of also walking in the very presence of God, knowing that God is near you, even if you don't feel God near you, knowing that God is is with you, that God is connected with you, that you are in His presence, and by, by implication, in His place of protection, in His place of safety. And I think most of us are longing for this twofold dynamic in our lives in these turbulent times, to know the presence of God, the face of God, and also to have the confidence that we are established in God and that no matter what happens, we are with God, we can never be moved. So how do we get to this place? Now, it's, we need to be very careful here because if you just read this psalm out of the context of the total Scripture... You can almost think, well, David is being quite legalistic. He's saying, well, if you do this and you don't do this, then you'll never be moved. Then you will be in God's presence. But that's not what God is trying to point. uh, That's not what David is trying to point to here. And that's not what God is trying to point to here. David was looking ahead to Christ, obviously. We look and we see Christ who is crucified, uh, who is resurrected from the dead. And we know that that's our foundation, We know that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works so that there is nothing we can do to earn our salvation, to improve our salvation, to increase our salvation, to make God love us more, to to make God favor us more, to get more of God's grace. There's nothing we can do to earn any of this. And there's nothing that we can do to maintain our identity as sons, as saints, as holy ones, as as people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and made alive in Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. All of those things come by grace through faith and we are called to believe them, to receive them, and to accept them. But having said that, as Christians we do have a responsibility. It's not as if now that we've been saved by grace uh, that all of a sudden we just, you know, coast and let God do whatever God wants to and we just do nothing but listen to God and follow His leadership. Now, as children of God, as we grow more and more mature, we have responsibilities before God in how we live our lives. Now, when I was probably two years old, my mother would dress me. And uh, she put a lot of nice, I I have a picture of myself with, I think, a cute suit on and a nice little bow tie and a white shirt. 
and I look cute, and everybody thinks, oh, how cute, how special is that? You know, and parents do that. But let me tell you, when I was 21, if my mom had tried to do that, I would be saying, no, mother, I'm an adult now. I don't need you to dress me. And at the same time, if I was going to mom and I, and I said, well, mom, you know, now that I'm 21, I really need to know your will. Uh, do you prefer a white shirt or a plaid shirt? You know, there's a problem in that because I'm not walking in my maturity. And as Christians, we have responsibilities before the Lord. And the good news is that by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God who lives in us, we have, in the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, all we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. We have what we need to do what God has called us to do. God has given us what we need by His grace, by His favor, by His Spirit poured out in our lives, by the power of Jesus Christ in the cross that's defeated the power of sin, death, and hell. We have what we need in Jesus Christ to fulfill our responsibilities as children of God. God has done it all for us. We have it all, and we need to have that as a backdrop here for what David is saying Otherwise, we will start to wander into a vague legalism that is not healthy and that God actually spoke, Jesus spoke against quite strongly. Having said that, though, we need to take up our responsibility. If we do not act responsibly, we place ourselves in great danger. And there are a lot of Christians who do not encounter the presence of God on a regular basis in their lives and who are not firmly established in the Lord, there are a lot of Christians for whom this is true because they have failed to do what God has told them to do. They have failed to take up their responsibilities. And consequently, if we fail to do what God has called us and enabled us to do in His Son, Jesus Christ, we will become victims rather than being victors. And we will not be established and we will not walk in a way that experiences that ongoing presence of God in our lives, which we so desperately need. So what does David say here when he prays this prayer, Lord, Lord, help me be the one who sees your face. Lord, let me be established. What is David saying is our responsibility to be in that place? Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? First of all, he says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Now, the idea of walking here, as you know, is a metaphor for living. It's the way we live our lives on a day-in, day-out basis, and we are to live our lives blamelessly. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, he who walks perfectly. He doesn't say, he who walks in a way that never makes a mistake. He's saying, he who lives without culpability for sin. In other words, we're we're all going to sin, we're all going to make mistakes, we're all going to do things that are wrong from time to time. That is the nature of our condition as human beings, but we must not choose to do those things. Because if we choose to do what we know to be wrong, we are no longer blameless, but we are culpable for our sin. 
if we are choosing to do that which we know God has said do not do, then we are no longer blameless. Now the good news is, if you do do this, and we all do this from time to time, you can correct it by repenting. Saying, God, I confess that what I chose to do here is sin. I'm completely responsible for it. I can't blame my wife. I can't blame the bus conductor. I can't blame my boss. I am responsible for this. I confess it as sin, and I turn away from it, and I want to live righteously before you. And the cross of Christ, in the cross, we are always forgiven when we repent because the blood of Jesus has already cleansed us from our sin. You know, it's a lot easier to get clean when you started clean than it is to get clean when you started dirty. And we all start clean by the blood of Jesus, and that means that as we repent, God forgives us. So we walk blamelessly, we do what is right, we do the things that we know we're supposed to be doing, but here's a big one, and speaks truth in his heart. We all have a real capacity to deceive ourselves. In fact, there's a whole, a, a whole series of human study in economics is really uh, much of uh, modern-day economics is about how people make decisions, and much of the study of decision-making is focused on the ways that we will deceive ourselves on a regular basis. And we all do this. Uh, we all have what's called loss aversion, which means we're, we are more motivated by what we might lose than what we might gain. We all suffer from what's called confirmation bias, which means that after we make a decision, we tend to see everything that will confirm the rightness of our decision, and we ignore everything that would suggest that our decision was wrong. And there are dozens, I think there's actually over a hundred known biases that people have that influence our decision making, which is over a hundred different ways that we can easily deceive ourselves. And so David says we need to learn to speak truth in our heart. We need to seek to know the truth. We need to look for the truth. We need to challenge our assumptions. We need to challenge our perceptions. We need to challenge our presuppositions. And we need to do this all the time. We need to do this all the time. You know, I regularly go through a process, not regularly as in like every year, every month, but every few years, I will go through a process to say, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection, really true? And I will try to examine all the arguments against it and go with the presupposition it's not true unless it's proven to be. And time after time, I see that the, the evidence that supports the bodily resurrection far outweighs any supposed evidence that would undermine it. Undermine it. But we need to challenge these things and not be afraid. God's not afraid of that. We must learn how to speak truth in our hearts because we often deceive ourselves and then we make choices and decisions that become unrighteous and blameful because we've allowed ourselves to be deceived. So we need to speak truth in our heart and that's why God has given us the Bible as his word because it's the foundation for truth. Then he says you don't slander with your tongue, that means you don't speak negatively about other people. You don't criticize them, you don't undermine them, uh, you don't attack them, you don't defame their character, you don't question their motives. All those things are slander. 
And David says, you can't slander with your tongue. You don't choose to do evil to anybody around you. And evil is that which is not good for them, that which does not promote their benefit, that which looks out for number one. Those things would be evil. And you certainly do not take up a reproach against your friend, which means if somebody comes to you behind your friend's back and say, hey, do you know this about so-and-so? You say, listen, I refuse to listen to this because that person is my friend and I will be loyal to them and faithful to them. And we make a game sometimes of slandering people, of doing wrong to people, of even you know, agreeing with others against those who are close to us. And if we do, we will not be established. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Now, one of the things that Karen and I do to, to try to live this out, we like just about everybody. We watch TV. I, I, I enjoy watching some TV programs. But I know that almost no TV program on today is righteous or holy. I see it. it it's, you know, living together, same-sex relationships, all of that is just normal stuff on TV. And so what we have done when we're watching these things, so as not to just fall victim to all of this, if we see something that we think dishonors the Lord, we will speak it out. We say, oh, that's not right. We reject that in the name of Jesus. And we can do this, and we've just learned how to do this because we want to despise anything vile, anything unholy. We don't want it. We want to reject it. We don't want to make room for it. And at the same time, we seek to honor those who do what is right before God, even if it's right. And the, the people, say, uh, using the TV example, even if somebody on TV is doing what honors the Lord, but they don't, they're not doing it out of a Christian motive. And we say, thank you for that representation of that marriage, that healthy marriage in this program. You know, thank you that this person did the right thing. And we're doing this for our entertainment and even more so over the normal course of living. We need to learn how to do this. Then the next thing, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. This is we need to be people who keep our word even if we promise to do something and later we discover it's not convenient. Once we make a commitment, we honor our commitment even if our commitment costs us something. Even if our commitment hurts, we live with that commitment. We honor that commitment. If you promise to pay somebody something, you pay it to them. You don't say, oh, you know, I I can't pay you anymore. No, you pay it to them. If you made the promise, you keep the promise. Unless the other person releases you from the promise. And then you can be released. But if if you make a promise, you do it. You keep it. Even if it works against you. Even if later you get evidence to say, oh, I just really made a serious mistake. You keep your word. And he says, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. The, the idea of interest there, this is not saying, you know, don't go borrow from a bank. This is not saying don't loan to somebody. And, and let, uh, you know, we've had people in the past who say, I, I want to borrow something from you and I will pay you back plus the interest that you'd have made in your savings account. Actually, we don't even take that interest. We say, no, uh, if you want to give us something extra, that's fine at the end of it, but you just pay back. Uh, but the idea here is that if you're going to loan somebody money, Jesus said, if you loan, loan without expecting repayment. 
So if you can't just give it, don't loan it. Because you might not get it back. And if you're not willing not to get it back, then don't loan it out in the first place. So you don't loan it interest and you don't take money that impoverishes somebody else, that hurts somebody else. In other words, you seek to live a generous lifestyle. And that's really what he's saying here. We're generous in what we do and how we live. We're generous in how we talk. We are generous toward the Lord and what he has said to do. We're generous in terms of keeping our word. We're generous in terms of how we use our resources. And God promises that as we do these things, in light of Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead for us, we will not be moved and we will know the presence of God in our lives. And when that's the case, we do not have to be afraid of turbulent times because we know that we're walking in the will and the ways of the Lord and the Lord promises to bless us in that. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for this psalm, for the encouragements there. Father, I pray that by your spirit you would remind us of the things in this psalm. Help us to walk, live, talk, act, use our money, use our time, keep our commitments, all as you've outlined in this psalm, in a faithful way every day of our life, that we will be established, never moved, no matter what happens around us, and that we will know your presence and live in the light of your face. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.